What's going on today? Hope the day is treating you well. Wanted to let you know the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. If you need your home spray foamed, be sure to check out msfi.ca today. Drew and the crew over at Muskoka are waiting for you to help you with your spray foam needs. Be sure to check out msfi.ca today. We're also proudly brought to you by Boone Contracting. They pride themselves on excellent customer service and quality workmanship. They specialize in every aspect of contracting, residential or commercial, from complete custom renovations, decks, fencing and more. Be sure to check out boonecontracting.ca. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this man needs barely any introduction, but we're going to do one anyways. You may have seen him on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, Sportsnet. You may have seen him sniping in your ball hockey league, and he may be the best offer you ever read. This is the one and the only Terry Ryan. And did I forget to mention, he was drafted in the first round by the Montreal Canadiens. Not a big deal. Terry, how's the day shaking out? Awesome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, man. Not a worries at all. Well, I want to jump right into her here. I mean, for you, with hockey, what got you into hockey at an early age and what kept the fire going right up until now? I know you're very prominent in the ball hockey scene. So what's kept the fire burning and what got you into it? Well, my dad... My dad played for the um, Minnesota Fighting Saints in the WHA. Um, not only that, though, you know, he grew up in Grand Falls. I mean, dad, dad always looked at hockey as, as not only, you know, his goal wasn't just to make the NHL. He always told me it's about the journey, and I'll go back to that. But even now, like, I still play senior hockey. Um, well, who knows now after COVID. Uh, ball hockey's still big, and... You know, it's not just playing, though. It's it's the doors that it's opened along the way. So I've always been – it was almost osmosis. I, when I was a kid, it was coming at me from all angles. Not only did Dad play, but he coached the local junior team. And, you know, everybody – you know, in, in, in any small town in Canada, you know, at the time, or even now, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've got a, a bunch of young hockey fans, Mount Pearl's a huge hockey town. Then, you know, the junior team was – you know, Patty O'Keefe and Keith, uh, Keith Hoyles and Kevin Hodge, like big, big names on the local team. They were just as big to me as Wayne Gretzky. I mean it. And having my dad coach, you know, and go on these little road trips and I'd ride the bus. So it was part of my life. Um, you know, I had skates. Dad would coach. And, uh, yeah, like I, I would just go on the ice. I'd collect the pucks. Whatever people needed water done, but, uh, water filled, but you know the, the practice would end, and there'd always be ten or fifteen minutes at the very least, and I'd, I'd be out there. So I, I, I don't even think I, I realized I was getting better. My first year, Adam, I didn't make the All Star team, the A's or the B's. But you know, you over the years, then I, especially the next year or two, I was on the ice way more than any other kid. And my dad led a bunch of me and my buddies on there, and lo and behold, we became the best team in Newfoundland. Uh, we, you know, we won. Every year that I played minor hockey, I believe we won the provincials. Maybe outside of one. But any, anyway, it was just a big, big, big town, hockey town. And not to mention, you know, we live in Canada. So once you start improving, you know, I played all kinds of sports. I played hockey, soccer, baseball, ball hockey, whatever I could. Uh, you know, down to basketball and volleyball, whatever was on the go, man. If our school offered it, I was there. But when you start becoming good at something let alone excellence you know over time 
you get addicted to that because it's fun to go out and score and it's fun to win. So I think it was just a natural progression. Like I was okay at the other sports, but I was real good at hockey and it was around me all the time. So, and I knew like, you know, I left at 14 to play junior because you know, I was an exceptional player when I was younger. I don't think I'm bragging when I say that it's a true, it's a fact. Uh, and, I, you know, at a young age, I knew what I wanted to be. Not everybody knows. Uh, there was a kid, Cody Connor, I think it is, signed yesterday in Anaheim. He's 30 years old. When he was 17, he didn't make the midget AAA team. Everybody has a different path. But I knew when I was 12, 13 that, I, you know, I, I wanted to be. I didn't know if I'd be successful, but I wanted to be a hockey player. Well, for you, you know, you look at the guys on that you looked up to. Like you said, you, you mentioned the same breath as Wayne Gretzky, and you mean it. You know, looking at those guys, what instills in you to – have other people look up to you now because you're in that same boat where people are looking at you and saying, Hey, I want to do what Terry Ryan does. I want that engine. I want that drive. So what goes into your every day to make sure you maintain that? And, and what are you telling people when they come up to you and say, Hey, Terry, I want to pick up like you did. And I want to be able to represent Newfoundland and be the pride of it. What do I got to do every day? What do you say to somebody who says that? It's a good question. Um, I think the biggest, the best thing to do, you know, I was aware of it, right? Like John Slaney went ninth overall four years before I went eighth. And in the 80s, there really wasn't any Newfoundlanders that were making an impact in hockey, none playing in the NHL. I hope I'm not shooting myself in the foot there, but I don't think so. Yeah, there wasn't. There was no Newfoundlanders in the NHL in the 80s. So in the 70s, my dad played the WHA, and there was four or five more. So, But there were still great players here and everything. It, It was just that it wasn't scouted. So when Slaney came along and scored the big goal for the Canadian junior team in Saskatoon in 91, I believe, and he got drafted ninth overall, I mean, he was, you know, ground zero for, for what I was looking for. I, I, I remembered watching him play. It was possible. You know, John was the best, but there were all kinds of, like, real good players around his skill level. And he ends up going, like, ninth overall. So that opened the door. Kind of tiptoeing around your question, but that opened the door for more Newfoundlanders I was probably the next bona fide big time prospect a few years later. And with that, you know, came a lot of interviews. Uh, hockey cards were becoming real big. You know, the draft was all of a sudden televised. There was a lot of thing happened in my career that made me aware of my place in the hockey world. Whereas I don't think the guys I mentioned playing junior B probably realized, you know, they're going to local high school and I don't think they realized what they meant to me, but I realized it because it was, you know, I took on a big responsibility early on. I was playing junior at 14, so I was still like a fan while I was playing. It was a really weird time. Um, you know, my first two years, like I said junior, I, I was bantam age. So as I was going from a fan into a prospect into a professional, I never really lost that fandom, and I was always aware because Newfoundland doesn't have a lot of play- NHL players, representation, just population alone. We're... we're, we're represented well per capita. Alex Newhook went in the first round last year. Dawson Mercer is going to go in the first round this year. Yep. We've always had great prospects, but, you know, it's just there's not a whole lot of people playing the game. So, you know, our minor hockey doesn't add up to eastern Toronto, let alone Ontario. So I knew when I'd come back, you know, and, you, you know, I, at the time I might have complained a bit. You know, it was hard to – but now I realize – you know, I don't mean I complained out loud, but I'd go home and, you know, I'd, I'd go to the mall and it'd be mobbed, you know. And I, I never 
I never didn't like that feeling. I, I'm just saying it made me aware of it. And sometimes I remember numerous times like going to the movies and having to go, okay, I got to go 45 minutes early because I know what's going to happen. But it started to be like that. Like I'd have to plan my days around public where I went. That sounds nuts. And again, that's what happened though. You know, I went eighth overall and gave a lot of Newfoundlanders hope. And I quickly realized that, you know, I got to be on in every setting now. Now I will say... So leading by example, you know, you, you try to do that. Now, of course, I got people out there reading my book going, man, there's some crazy stories in there. <laughs> I know there are because I'm also my own person. And I, I, I recommend everybody be their own person. Uh, it's, you know, I put in there, I was almost talking out loud. Everybody has some kind of crazy stories. That My book, Tales of a First Round Nothing, is a story of a boy growing into a man, really. The hockey's the vehicle, but I don't really regret any of that. I know there's things in there you're like, well, you know, I wouldn't want a 13-year-old reading that. Well, me neither, but life goes in stages, and I still think I need an example. Um, but, you know, I, I'm also proud of my story. So for me, it's treading the fine line, you know. If you go on spitting chiclets, they expect, uh, you know, maybe a story that happens after midnight. Um, you go on TSN 1040 Vancouver, maybe they'll want to talk about hockey. So I, and, you know, I, I got to more so than a lot of people in my position, I got to be aware of that because I push boundaries. And But at the same time, I'm back here, I'm coaching hockey, I'm still playing, and a lot of kids look up to me. So, you know, to me, it's about the balance. Well, at the end of the day, everybody's their own person. Everybody's human. Everybody has experiences. Everybody does things that, A, you know, you wouldn't normally talk about, but when you're in your position, it's good to talk about at times because it sheds light on the fact that, hey, you can do these things. You can be human. You can take those extra breaths here and there and do these things, and it's not going to cast a huge aspersion on you or a huge shadow over anything you do. I mean, you can still go out and be human, but I got to ask before we uh, get into your book for a moment is, um, you know, for young players, you're talking about you were really aware of it, and some players just aren't aware of it. How did you cope with the, the media obligations and the fans? I know you said that you started realizing and setting time and making sure that you were ready for things, but how did you prepare yourself for media and then the fans? Because a lot of young players coming through it now, you could see some of them do wilt under that pressure and don't like it. I'm wondering if you had any coping mechanisms that you might be able to share. Yeah, um, like, the only, the, the time I got frustrated with it. A lot of it was after the draft in Montreal. You know, the reporters are there. You get off the plane, there's 10, 10 cameras in your face. And again, it was that time that it was just coming. You know, in my career, the internet was just getting on the go. And, you know, like I said, there was a lot more hockey cards in the 90s than there were before that. There was like 10 different kinds per season. And so there was this movement almost. Of, you know, it, it was getting you ready for social media kind of thing. Um, and... But most of it I really enjoyed, but there is, you've got to be ready for it, and you've got to be ready what to say, because a few times early on, say, I was 14, again, I leave home, Tri-City Americans were going to draft me, they did that year, I didn't know much, I, was, I didn't throw a hit before, I never had sex, I didn't drink, like, it was really, I, I, I was going into this junior atmosphere, and I really wasn't prepared for the off-ice stuff, on the ice, I was. You know, I, I, could, I wasn't really prepared, but I handled it. I handled it on the ice. But off the ice, I remember having an interview, and they're asking me about my my goals, my future goals, whatever. I was 14. And I remember, like, I said, well, I'll, whatever the answer was, I can't, I, I can't quote it, but 
I spoke about, you know, making Tri-City and I spoke about um, winning our next few games and like in that, and I, I remember Chris Spencer, he's like, Jesus, you don't say that on air that we're going to beat Williams Lake on Friday. It's going to be a brawl. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it might be great that you want to get drafted where you do, but you know, there's three years away. And so, so there was, there was times that I got a little bit too big for my britches. And whenever, whenever something would happen that, might put someone on a path to be cocky with themselves, something would bring me down to earth. And whether it was in Tri-Cities, Todd Klaassen, our captain, my first year, he passed away and gave levity to the whole, like on our way down to camp, like we were driving in a carpool and he went off the road kind of thing. So, and and then there were, I had great billets in Tri-Cities and life wasn't just hockey. Even though I love it, billets gotta be, you know, if, I, if I'm a parent or if I'm, if any parents out there can hear me or are listening to this, please, like, that's the big thing that people take for granted. Where's your kid going to be? Yes, you want him or her to do this, 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 and this in the game. And, you know, the coach and the lines and all that and, and where they are and you're watching on TV and you're saying, well, you should be on the third line or you should be on. The thing is, the billet is huge. And my billets were great. They were good people. And I realized that life was about more than hockey. I won't get into the personal things that happened during that time. My roommate was Zenith Komarniski in Tri-Cities. And we just grew up quick together, man. We all did as a group. Damon Lankow, myself, Brian Boucher. We all went in the first round that one year, and we all played on Tri-Cities. So, like, as you're going through it, you got people to bounce it off of. And, like, Boosh would have a bad game. I remember Kamloops get scored on ten times. Now, if I'm a forward and I have a bad game, you won't really notice it. Okay, no goals, no assists. Whatever. Next game, I get a hat trick. People are what? But if they see Brian Boucher is rated in the first round, he gets scored on ten times last night. You know, so like you don't even have to see the game or know the circumstances. So it was kind of harder for Boucher. He was in a more individual position, in my point of view, seeing what I saw. But there was that, right? We were all going through it together, and someone would needed needed to pick me up at different times during the year. I remember going in a seven game scoring slump. Right. And, 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 you know, you need those guys with you. So I know I'm, 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 it's a long way around your question, but the point is like, it's all to do with experiences and the people that are around you that are guiding you. And you, you, you gotta be aware of yourself, but you know, if you're a young player and you make a junior team or you make a, an East coast league team or AHL or NHL, right up to the NHL, you know, pay attention. There's a, like, I was logical. When I got to Montreal, there's a reason Vincent Tamfus is the captain. Now, what does he have to say about it? I'll, I'll talk to Vladimir Malikov later. Like, well, is Vincent Tamfus the captain of the Montreal Canadiens? Right? And then I'd stick around and say, okay, like, the reporters, now how is he going to handle these questions? And he was very eloquently spoken. He was articulate. Saku Koivu, Shane Corson, Mark Reckie. There's no fluke. These guys had careers. And it's not just that they're good hockey players, right? They're good on and off the ice. They know how to gel the team together. It takes, it takes you know, a team full of guys and personalities that bring you along. Which direction you're going to go in, who knows? But if I, you know, how to cope with and all that, I, I truly believe that, You've got to always respect others and, and, and think about your answers, but really pay attention to the leaders. Why are they leaders? You don't have to have a captain or assistant either. Why did Turner Stevenson win a Stanley Cup? Like, why did why is he there? He can't skate very well. I'm looking at him with my own eyes. I'm like, Jesus, why is he here? Okay, after a week playing with Turner Stevenson, you realize why he's there. Because he's a leader and he's a team guy. Anyway. No, definitely no. That's a great answer. It's not long-winded. That's perfect. 
It's what people need to hear. It's, you know, it's peeling back that curtain, as I always say, and something I like to hear about. So for me, that's an epic answer. Now, I got to ask, you know, with the game going the way it is, and again, I definitely want to talk about your book and things that went into that, but with the game the way it is now, what is the biggest change that you've seen since you were a player in the NHL getting prepared through junior going to the NHL to now? What is the, the difference in training, the mentality, and what is something, uh, again, that you can recommend uh, for someone that they should be doing that someone might be lacking at? Oh, God, how many changes? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I what I like. There's, And, you know, it's, it's topical. Not that I'm trying to go topical, but, you know, there's... With all the shit that's happening and the, 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 you know, outside of the COVID, the riots and things that are happening pretty much south of the border. But protests are happening everywhere. I should say riots down there, but protests all over. Well, basically, you know, I, I would say if you peel back layers of that and Black Lives Matter and COVID and George Floyd and all of that, right? But there is an underlying message of acceptance and tolerance, right? Whether it's black, white, red, blue, whatever, we, we have to be tolerant of each other and we have to accept. And I'm glad that it's going that way uh, because, you know, there was times when I was younger, like I didn't want to open my mouth. I was from Newfoundland. I knew I'd get shit. Or there was times I played against George LaRock and I remember, you know, people getting suspended for yelling slurs. Uh, there was times that, you know, if you were in a dressing room, you know, like I, I'm doing some acting now. I truly believe, like when I started, at least when I was back here in high school, if I had, if I had gone out and said, oh, I'm going to act some Shakespeare, I think the boys on the hockey team would have disowned me. <laughs> so I, I'm not just saying race or, or, or gender. Women now are way more included, right? They, they get their own leagues. The professional league is, even though there's some hiccups, it's coming along. I think tolerance and acceptance are huge because you, you when you're on the ice, it's, you got to have confidence. And the only way that you're going to have confidence is if, you know, you don't have all these distractions. I could go on the ice and have lots of confidence, but like if I'm, uh, let's see, you know, if I'm in an argument with my wife and we might get divorced or I got a DUI or, um, you know, one of my friends passed away, right? It's hard to go on the ice and just say what you want, you know, and, and, and you know, it's, I love hockey that it can take you away from things, but there's certain things that can be on your mind. So you need to have, you know, that focus. And I think back then I would bottle it up. I remember going to see a sports psychologist, Wayne Hollywell. You know, it's not easy as a first-round pick for a Montreal Canadian, um, you know, to go out there with all eyes on you all the time. I'm not complaining now. I know I realized what I had to do, and I'm not complaining, but – I was almost embarrassed to go see Wayne. He was a sports psychologist. I only went in and asked him, like, you know, <laughs> he gave me some tips. I was literally afraid to tell anybody that. Right? So, and, you know, mental health, you know, back then he said mental health. I think people put a stigma on it that, well, you're just crazy. You're nuts then. Yeah. Right? Whereas everybody has mental health issues at some point, whether it's stress about an exam or whether you got a concussion. But there's, we really, it wasn't really talked about. So that's number one. Um, then you get little things like just the dynamic of the game, sticks, right? Like my stick, I showed to some of the boys I played on toe drags because the stick was heavy. Like we couldn't do as much with it. What do you mean pick it up on your stick and pull the kuznets off? It was hard to do that. So 
you know, I love the Coho Revolution, but it was a log. <laughs> so the game and skates changed and the approach. And I don't think it's like back then I trained like people, I think, look at it like it was the 60s and like you or my dad in the 70s just went to camp and how to play his way in shape. Dad ran in the summer like Rocky Four. you know, he chopped wood and stuff. That's how he stayed in shape. But we weren't there, though. Like, in the 90s, there was still, there wasn't the combine, per se, where everybody goes to one spot. But you had to do those tests. I had to fly to Halifax, do all that testing, and then send it into the NHL, and they'd rank it accordingly. And it would come out in hockey news. You'd be able to read it. Um, we had Stéphane Dubé in Montreal. He was a trainer that worked with us and gave us a program. But it wasn't as individual. Like, he'd give us all a program on the way out the door, and we'd follow it. Like, you know, I was in good shape. Like, it, relatively i mean that beers and stuff you know but you know i always blew well on the vo2 like i did the work that he gave me but now it's more specific you know okay Terry, you got to work on your skating we're going to do some quick feet stuff with you and you're going to go to a hockey school to work on that with laura stam or whoever it is right um okay teddy purcell you need to get bigger so we're going to put some creatine into you you're going to work out you're not you're already got quick hands so you don't have to work like terry does on his hand stuff like that like I find now that especially like because people come back here and I train them in the summer and I see their programs and I'm like, well, shit, that's pretty good. Right? <laughs> and they, they got everything, what to eat. Um, so really, I'm when I train kids in the summer, a lot of the time I'm just kind of bridging the gap. I'm, I'm, I'm the glue. I'm just bringing them along. But they're, I look at what they bring back and I'm like, holy shit, like this is pretty specific, as it should be, as it should be. And I don't think that's unique to hockey. I think that's happening across the board. I mean, watch Moneyball and analytics, right? And yeah. that creeped its way into hockey. People say it's a bad thing. I don't know. Sometimes it, everything can be analytic. You know, you could say, oh, the power play went three for five tonight and seven for ten two weeks later. You know, there's always been, and you compare, that's analytics. It's just that now we pay really close attention. But because of that, I think you're, you're starting to really see this specific training explode, right? And people know exactly what they got to work on, and they know the times. And it's like I didn't go into my camp looking at Brad Brown's sprint time and going, okay, I got to try to beat that. I didn't really know. Like, you know, we train hard, like I said, but now I think like if you want it, it's there. Like if you, I, I, I still have to kind of go and look for specific kinds of training or go, Oh, look, the, uh, the so-and-so diet or this or that, or you kind of experiment, but you know, you kind of had to look now a with the internet, you know, with other, you got access to everything. Right now, if you're a prospect, like Dawson Mercer, right? He played on Team Canada, great tournament. Uh, they won it six months ago, whatever. Yep. World Juniors. Um, well, like Dawson can just bounce ideas off the people that he's getting drafted with from the first round. Like, it's like me being able to talk to Brian Burrard 10 times a day just on a, on a text message. Hey, Brian, how are you working? Oh, well, I'm doing this, this, and this. Uh, you know, hey, Wade, hey, Wade Redden, you know, what are you working on? I just find this in, in, this interactive thing just amazing for because we're getting so specific that the game is – that's why I think it's so fast. And we got rid of those rules that slow the game down. Of course, some of that is not always a good thing. But you're just asking me, you know, how the game changed and my approach and everything. Well, you know, the biggest changes I see, obviously, in the fighting, obviously, right? Obviously, that's a big change, so I don't need to get too far into that one. But like the wood sticks, the dynamic of the game, how you train, 
I mean, everything from, I went back and watched some clips the other day, even the way the fans see the game is different. There's netting now that goes all the way around. That happened during my time. I really don't think, if someone started like playing like I did, junior, in 1990, and I'm still playing senior in 2020, so I consider that, you know, whatever, junior slash pro slash senior amateur. It's all, you know, I haven't really retired yet, although I'm about to, but whatever. Like, senior hockey is... I'm not saying like beer league. I'm saying we go for the Allen Cup. So I'm playing with guys, I guess, that play junior and CIS and NHL and NHL all the time. I have been since then. And I'm just saying that being involved in the game on that kind of level in that time, I don't know if there's any other time that so much has changed. Like there's no red line anymore. Like I said, the netting, the goalie pads, uh, the, the, the players, the shoulder pads, the, the skates, the sticks, the analytics, the coaching, right? Now, I know a lot of those, I know coaches got a bad rap uh, six or eight months ago with Babcock and everything, and, you know, some of that is bullshit, and that was never spoken up about, and there was, yes, racism went on, yes, there was people, not a whole lot, though, uh, I really mean it in my experience, I didn't see it, I'm just saying that whatever that dude was for Calgary, I can't remember his name, Bill Peters, was it? Um, you know, I, you know, you read those stories, and they're horrid, but I didn't see that personally, but that didn't surprise me about my era, because no one would really speak up against the coach. I mean, I would never complain either, but I had a coach grab my fucking, or sorry, my collar, and, you know, tell me to go fight, and I don't think that shit's happening anymore either, so, like, you, you, there's the whole dynamic of the game of hockey, it's Sportsnet, TSN, even, you know, there was times in the 90s, which isn't that long ago, like, you wouldn't see every World Junior game. Yep. It's the playoffs, it's just, and now you got days before it starts, only the World Junior preview shows. It's just right in your face. Here it is. Here's your fucking story again. No worries. Here's your breakfast, you know, and, and here's your hockey. How do you want it? And it's, I just find it, it, it's almost like to say I feel like a dinosaur in the games is an understatement. But, uh, you know, if you, if you were to take 19, say, 65 till 1985 a whole lot happened and especially on the tv and you look at players skating around but i don't think as much they were still using the same sticks you know goalies were wearing more masks i guess but it's always been an evolution but i don't think people a lot of people would recognize it if you if you went into a coma in 1990 and you came out now and you watched Connor mcdavid and the oilers against pittsburgh i don't know why it'd be the same game but you'd be mesmerized you would be. Well, you touched on the uh, the Sportsnet and TSN, the coverage. I'm wondering for you, do you find it too much? There's a lot of people that complain it's too in your face. I mean, I'm one of those guys that I'm give say, give me more, give me more. I want to see as much as I can, learn as much as I can, take as much as I can in. And something you said earlier really, really resonates with me. My grandfather, he's from St. John's, Newfoundland, and he always tells me, you know, pay attention. If you pay attention, you never, ever, ever have to study for anything. You should be able to take it all in and learn from it. So when you said that, it really resonated. I wanted to say that, but I'm wondering for you, for all the coverage out there, for everything there is, every podcast, everybody talking about it, do you think it's oversaturated, or are you one of those guys like me that just wants more? Well, first of all, that's great advice from your grandfather. And uh, to, to, and, and I, if, you're, if you're a kid out there, you're a junior, and you're going into university hockey, take that advice. I'm serious, because when I... Um, when I played on the Habs, like I, I, I always wanted to go to school and, and get a degree. It was, it was as big of a goal, honestly, as playing professional hockey. So 
and you know I took courses in my early 20s when I came back here but you know you're like geez I'm playing on the head like you just go and mail it in it's you're going to the frat parties you're drinking you know you're ha- hanging out you're, you're, you're doing the work how can I pass but when I went back at 32 and I, I just simply went to all the courses I went to the classes is all I did and I'm like yeah, it's exactly what I thought I'm like I'm just going to pay attention and Honestly, I didn't really have to do much study. So literally that works and it sounds like an easy thing, but it's not always the easiest approach. People are always looking for a shortcut. Go to the hour class, listen, uh, it works. Um, but yeah, to your question, I, that's also one of the things I like about uh, today's uh, media worlds that I can get, I think it hurts when it comes to fighting all the cameras and everything, because I, I think one punch coming up anytime soon and it'll be gone but of course cross checks and stuff i just think it's 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 that time like everything's on camera so you can't really cheat even not just the fighting that was a bad example let's say face-offs yeah or or you know giving a guy the corkscrew under the uh under the jersey but still i mean i can't complain about not being able to cheat now i'm just saying what i notice on the ice there's not as much uh the guys like matthew burnaby wouldn't be as successful in today's game <clears throat> love matthew by the way um um, but as far as the presentation of the media as it's as it's laid out for the common fan, yeah, I love it. And anything's accessible. I think I've heard that too. And I do think TSN, like I think TSN, Milk, the World Junior, what is it, the draft? There's a few things because you know the TV rights. They just whatever way it works. I don't read every article specifically, but. Yep. I know that Sportsnet took over most of TSN's viewership with a lot of their contracts and a lot of their games, things like that. So TSN now, in my mind, maybe I'm wrong, see, but try to milk, say, say the trade deadline. is like that's a Bob McKenzie thing, right? It's trade deadline day, and they make like three, three days out of it. And yes, that sometimes annoys me, but, you know, Ken Reed made a good point to me from Sportsnet. He's like, well, they wouldn't put it out there, though, if it wasn't getting good ratings. That's so, it right yeah, there, yeah. Right. You know, like, and who cares if it's cutting into that day's football game or big baseball game? You just turn on another channel or just turn on your phone and play along with it. Like, you know, so if TSN is choosing to go with that, then what it proves to me is that we're still a major, major hockey country because if there are other options – Right? And I never really thought of it like that. But he's like, it's a business more than anything. You should know that, TR. Like, yeah. He's yeah. Like, well, they wouldn't put it there if not. Now, for me, I'm the same way with the well, hockey I watch by far the most. But say, say, like, it works well on the other end of it. Like, I always pay attention to basketball, right? But I'm not as big a fan as hockey. I pay attention and, and really... Really, for two reasons. Growing up, Michael Jordan, you could sense that he was going to be or was the best ever. So if it's happening, you might as well. I'm not a huge golf fan. I don't play much. But as Tiger Woods was doing his thing, of course I'm going to tune in. I'm watching the best person ever to do this. So there was that. And if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, honestly, I don't know that I would have watched. But it it gave me enough of of a platform to watch basketball and then when the raptors go on their runs say i watch i always know who plays on the raptors and all so one out of three times leave the highlights on you know what i mean like i know the best players on all the teams but when it comes time say for 
playoffs and the Raptors, I love that. That all of a sudden there are channels that have all day long, TSN gets, gets shit for it, like I said, but now all of a sudden I can see each guy where they came from. I can I can get an affinity for the team because I can make some kind of a connection as a fan, right? I can go, oh, he's from here, he's from here. Wow, that's interesting. Um, yeah, you get the full bio get, before you jump into the you game. You get the full bio, right? And, and then you get the matchups and you get everything else. So I find it great. And then I thought about it. I was like, you're right. So there's some hockey fans that either just moved here or just got into hockey. Just like, you know, and, and that happens thousands of times each day. So that's probably great for them. So, you know, I, it's, it's often like Jeff Merrick says as well. He's like, you know, a lot of people, myself included, I've always said, man, the All-Star Game's bullshit. It's stupid. Like, why are they? But it's not for me. Yeah. It's, it, it's not for me to enjoy. I, what do I care if it goes three on three or four on four? What the hell? If people are there really enjoying it, and if there's new fans that are going to come from it, right, then yeah. what is the problem? Right. So I find that today there's just more ways to gather information and you can become a fan of any sport almost overnight if you want to look hard enough and i love that i love it i think it it, it may it's the reason that so many sports are are exponentially growing across the planet because the internet's there and because media is showing it to you and right from our country for a guy like me it might help me when i want to watch the raptors but for other countries you know um a country like England, that hockey's come leaps and bounds in the last 20 years. Well, that's part of it. Before I jump into to asking you about what's about to happen this summer and maybe the ideology going behind it being this way, you know, the other thing the internet has done is taken away all those guys who used to say, yeah, yeah, I used to play for X and, you know, I used to play here and, oh, yeah, I was a big star here. That hockey DB and all those databases that are up there now, you can throw anybody's name in there. You can basically call uh, call BS on any story that isn't real. So that's another thing that's brought out is you're not able to say, yeah, I used to play for the Maple Leafs back in the day, and you can't do that no more because everybody's stats are live and live in color. I love it. I love it because there were so many dudes <laughs> that used to go to the bar and make use that. And I never understood it why they – because in Canada, I'm like, why don't you just pick you're in a rock band or something? Like, no one can really, you know, you're saying hi. All we got to do is run into someone that actually plays on the team you're talking about or knows somebody, and we're in Canada, which often happened, but yeah. often it didn't. And now, or put some people putting on a resume, it wasn't always to pick up girls, which just mean the most obvious example. But, you know, uh, resumes, uh, people working at hockey schools, right, all of a sudden got exposed. Oh, I see. So you didn't play four years in the American Hockey League. <laughs> four games. That's a little different. Yeah. Some people didn't play to begin with. <laughs> yeah, no, that it made that huge thing. I was talking to uh, to David Ling about it, and he was saying the same thing. It just it opened up a lot of eyes where you're not able to hide behind a story anymore. You actually got stats there, and if you didn't go there, you didn't play there, you're not there. Exactly, and... Um... I love, uh, before we go further, whoever does Hockey DB and Elite Prospects, love it. Pat on the back. um, Even even for that reason, yes, but for so many other reasons. uh, It's, I know it's a database and once you get it set up, it's probably easy to do, but those sites are more extensive 
than a lot of other sports sites. If you, if you just go to look up, say, golf or MLB, MLB is almost like a maze. It's almost like figuring out, trying to solve like the Pythagorean theorem. And I'm, I'm looking at it going, <laughs> I just want to see what he batted that year. Someone show me what the fuck his batting average was. I don't care about Tuesday nights in October when it's raining. Just please tell yeah. me what the actual stats are. But it got it all right over there, right? That's what I want to know. It doesn't go too far into the analytics. Goals, assists, points, power play, right? If I want to see shot blocking and everything, I will. I, there's places to find it, and I'll find it on the net. But I want to see straight up stats, and I love them for that. So if they're listening, which I know they sometimes do, hats off to you guys. No, for sure. Well, now I got to ask you the question. Obviously, it's looking, looking right now that hockey's going to be back. Uh, camps in July, playing in August, and there's been a couple things floated from. Elliot Friedman and other guys saying that some people have said that maybe they would like the league to run from a January to August schedule so you're not running into the basketball playoffs, you're not going head-to-head in the fall with uh, football right off the bat, Um, you're going against baseball. And I'm wondering for you, as a purist for hockey, do you like the way the league is set up now and where it runs, or would you think that's a good idea? I know maintaining ice in the summer is going to be no picnic, but... They got a point from, like we were talking about, business standpoint, you know, where there's no other large sports except for the MLB and maybe MLS going at that point. Would it make sense for hockey to go from January to August? Uh, honestly, I think it's such a hypothetical. Like, things are changing by the day, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. We, we, we still got a second wave. Like, things are opening up, and there's places in the States that it's worse than ever. So, and, and you know, these places have teams, I, I, I still don't understand getting around how they're going to go about it. Like, it's going to be the hub. Gonna, it's going to be the hub cities, is what it's going to be. But again, so some of those hub, hub cities, cities. But even so, okay, so you got a team. Yep. Now you got you got to have. There's going to be media involved. There's trainers. There's medical. There's all that. So you're going to get all of them. So right from the beginning, I had this question. I, I've I've heard, and I just don't. I haven't heard anybody really answer it. So every single one of them people then they have to go back to their families so their families are going to quarantine their kids aren't going to to school not none of that everybody's going to quarantine involved i just don't see it happening and say say one of the hub cities is vancouver right that i heard about today yep okay so you're gonna have to cross the border first of all now what if any time between now and then an outbreak happens which can be a sneeze we don't have anything now in newfoundland we don't have one case we haven't had one case for over a month now, okay, everybody goes downtown, watches Damien Follett on stage live, breaks out, uh, it, someone has it that night, literally, sips on a glass, I mistake it, I sip from his or her glass, boom, thousand cases in two weeks. Now what do you do? And yeah. I, I just don't know how you're going to... Now, I want it to happen. I can't wait. I want it to happen. I'm, I'm, I keep, don't get me wrong. I, I just haven't really... The cases are still going up, but we're not talking about it as much because other things are on the news. But I don't, you know, I, I'd love, if I was playing, I'd want to play. I just don't know how you're going to get around even the, the legalities of it. Um, but okay, so beyond that, beyond that, let's just say everything works. Then I don't really care. Whatever, like, like someone was asking me the other day, you know, what if. If, if they agree, like, it's not up to me to say if, if, if the players, like, I want to see a cup. 
Yep. I don't care if they find if it's a one game playoff like the NFL. It'll always have an asterisk. We just took three months off. So some people think it's gonna have an asterisk whether we went back to the exact same format. If all of a sudden magically now you could finish out the year, play the playoffs, and then just go next year, you're not gonna get around the asterisk. So you want I don't care if they agree, like the cup is the cup. Yeah. I, I wouldn't you, you you could tell me they came up with a round robin, one game knockout, whatever, it sucks. But get it done, and if they choose to go from January to August, I just, yeah, sure, I, I, you know, maybe so, but what do you do then about the next seasons? We, we're going to have to go back to regular at some point, and I just, I, I haven't heard an answer for the next two years, the overlap. Like, at what point do we lose this season? Right? Can we play? Are we going to be playing for the 2020 Stanley Cup in September 21? That's right. you know the, well the way Gary Bettman puts it, he wants this cup done. But you look at it, okay? You do the playoffs, you do this. The the answer that I had um, given to me from uh, Paul Bromby was the fact that he's a producer at Sportsnet. He said they would do a shortened season, so like the lockout season we got that year they came back. I think it was 13-14. Don't quote me on it. But I think it was 13-14. too, my draft year at a, a 42-game season. Go yeah, ahead. so that's what they're thinking of doing, is doing a shortened season, going into the playoffs as you would not usual at April, and being wrapped up and done by June. But then there were some people that were saying, hey, why don't we just permanently make the season from January to August, and then you get those times in the summer where you can be out on a patio and watching the Stanley Cup or enjoying a sunny day and you know watching hockey. But that was what they were thinking, like some people's thoughts. Yeah, permanently. Okay, I hadn't heard that. Um, yeah, that was the idea uh, that was floated. It was a permanent change yeah, from... The players will never go for that. Now, there's, if I was a player, I mean, really, like, so you, mid-July, like, all these festivals are going on. The weather's unbelievable all over. The, I'm not saying you wouldn't want to play, but it'd be a drag. It'd be, fuck, man, I gotta play for the cop now? Like, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to seem like I, I take for granted being an NHLer and being in that position, but... You know, I think that's a rush job. I, I really do. I think they're trying to come up with solutions that might... It's a valiant idea, and it's worth consideration, but quick thumbs down for me. No, I wouldn't... And, you know, you, you, in your in your whole mental... You know, you, you go back to school, you get ready for the hockey season. You know, and then about... A, you know, when, you, when you're a kid and, you know, September sucks, but, you know, you are getting ready to see the NHL start in October, and you need that time. Yeah. If January to August to me isn't, you, what are you chopping a month off the season? Or two? Are you like, you're talking about six? Normally you would have September, October, November, December, January. No, October, November, December, January, February, March. I suppose there's six, April. Seven. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about like Christmas without, oh, the season hasn't started. Yeah, right. well, I, the- I, I suppose. If the players vote for it, it's only it's only time, I guess. I, I wouldn't do it, but yeah, you look at the amount of guys now, though. And I mean, you talk about prime summer, and that is something that a lot of guys do. They plan not only just life, but pregnancies and different things like that to you know growing their families and things like that throughout the summer too, right? So I don't know. It would throw a wrench in a lot of plans. I'm with you. It's a hard thumbs down. I I like the idea of this summer being unique and getting to sit out on a patio here in Halifax and yeah, that, and watch. For sure. But I, I want it to be unique once. I don't so want it to be the way, constant. Put it, put it this way. 
Yeah, unique ones. And even if you needed to do it next year to get these next two seasons in and then the next season start, you know, a little later, you could gradually, so say in 2022, we'd be back to the, you know, assuming that the vaccine comes and all that shit. There's a lot to assume, man. There's a whole lot to assume with all this. That's why I'm uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, but you're almost, it's just words. But, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I, to be clear, I wasn't saying it all from the player's point of view. There is, you're getting paid millions of dollars, like whatever you prefer, go, you know, go fuck yourself. With, this is when you're going to play. But uh, yeah, I was talking about that. You wouldn't want to, so it'd be hard to get by the, the, the PA, but you know, let's say we did. But there's other, like, you know, your kids. It's not just that. That's when their summer is. So, like, yeah, your wife, you said pregnancy. But, you know, there's something to be said. The kids go to school during that, you know, September. It's almost the same cycle as the hockey season. Yep, it is. So a lot of people, they're, they're and, you know, then they live in the place they play, and then they go home in the summer. And that's the dynamic. It's not always a preference. It's almost like, oh, I'm going to have to sell my house or my cabin or both. But, you know and, you know, it's just a whole lot to agree to right away. If, if, if the players want to do it, more power to them. I see it. I don't see it happen. Well, there you go. There you go. Now I got to ask the question. We were talking about it the whole time. The book. What made you want to write a book? What came to mind? How did that all come about? And did you enjoy the process? I've talked to people who've written books. Some people enjoy it. Some people found it really tedious and a grind. How was it for you, Terry? Ah, uh, no, it wasn't a grind. I kept journals my whole life. And, um, you know, my career came to an end in the, in the NHL earlier than I, I wanted it to. And, you know, it's a combination of circumstance. Um, I didn't go back to Montreal camp. I probably should have. They didn't trade me. We were both stubborn, and then I hurt my ankle. So, you know, there was, there was um, some... There was, I guess, surrounding, if you were to only concentrate on that, you know, and that was the National Hockey League. So a lot of people had only really heard that. So... By association, my career was associated with negativity. I think. I mean, not not all negative, but you know what I mean. People, yep. Oh, that's the guy that. Oh, he went the first round, and geez, he only played eight games. <laughs> and I'd come home, and people would like almost, um, you know, some big news back here. So, you know, after getting the key to the city, you know, people expecting a thousand games and multiple Stanley Cups to come back with your tail between your legs after you know, getting hurt and never really playing a full year in the NHL was, it was not easy, but I still knew that I enjoyed the time I had and no one would ever ask me about Boise, Idaho or Hershey, Pennsylvania or Colorado Springs. A, because they didn't care, but I don't even think they realized it. Like there was, and, and there's a whole lot to that. Like I would go back and do it again, not having been a big prospect, knowing what I know now, I still would go back. If I knew that, you know, my ceiling was the AHL or the East Coast League, I'd still 100%, without even blinking, I'd go back because I love the game. And I love playing pro hockey. It was a laugh. To me, the difference was, oh, here I can buy a house, here I got to rent, or whatever. Like, yeah. there was a money, I didn't care about the fame or the, you know, it was just great. And you were, and each city you go to, you're gut. So it was awesome. Um, but, so I was just, and I, and I had these journals. I'm an only child. And when I went away at 14, you know, playing junior, I didn't have, for the first bit, you know, the people, I couldn't hang out with them like I could hang out with my buddies here. They were into other things that were far beyond my maturity level. But, you know, I, I started writing journals. So I had all this stuff written down 
anyway, a lot of it. It wasn't like it is in the book, you know, but I, I just take it out, look at the journal entry as a skeleton. And I'd always make sure to be detailed so I'd remember if it's people say I got good stories. Well, a lot of it's because I remember the exact details because I wrote them down at the time. And then as you tell them a few times, they don't leave you. Whereas if I was just to go, if someone was to go, oh, can you remember that time we had a pregame meal in Regina? Man, I don't know, this many years later. But over the years, I had all these journal entries written down. So um, anything from like, you know, playing a game to having a meal to meeting a celebrity, whatever. So... Yeah, that was, that was it. I went the, back to describe it. Ace, I was, I was, I call it tales of a first round nothing. And I looked back at my notes and I said, you know, there's pretty much nothing negative in here. It's just things that I really loved about the game. Funny things that happened to me and almost my love for the game. Like, am I, and I didn't really know what I'd find because I didn't go back and look at them that much. Yeah. So I wrote it and I said, "Why well, this isn't a negative book at all. <laughs> and there was Double Day Publishing were calling me and I, I think they wanted they were going to give me a lot more money than I got, by the way. And they, but they wanted to focus on the negativity between myself and Michelle Terrian more than anything. And they wanted a ghostwriter. And um, good guy, too. But I didn't want to do that, first of all. And I was back in school. I went back. After I got hurt, I went back and got a folklore degree. And, of course, that sounds funny. But folklore is, folklore is a lot of it is storytelling. And then my that was my major, and my minor was English. So now I realized that I could tell the story a little bit better I had all these details in front of me and now I got an English minor so the grammar and stuff I could almost edit it myself so now I realize you know what I don't need them I'm just going to do my own book because I don't want to if I got I might have one book to come out here and I don't want it to define me the rest of my life as this negative thing in Montreal like it's been to this point so that's it and and it was great mentally it was great for my teammates because a lot of them came to life in the book and um it was important to me because uh, people realize that there's more prospects and everything else. I know there's some crazy stories, but there's more to life, man. There's totally more. And I got, uh, you know, my journey paid for. And still, you know, what am I doing? I'm acting. I'm public speaking. I've got a second book about to come out. And um, it's all from hockey. The, the journey is, you know, yeah. when I act, it's not always related to hockey. In fact, very little. I was on Letterkenny. But other than that, I've had 20 or 25 gigs None of it's hockey, but hockey got me there because Jason Momoa and Ethan Hawke had read my book and gave me an opportunity years ago, and that's just how it goes, right? So, yeah, so I wanted to to portray that out, and I knew that people would like the stories. It wasn't all for me. It was like, you know, I got it here, and there's there's not a whole lot of money in in the book world. So it wasn't a monetary thing either. I just wanted to have the book out there. There was a lot of reasons. And like I said, once once I was in school, I kind of learned how to hone the craft a little bit. I'm not saying that they didn't edit it, but not much. I'm serious. Other, other than, you know, maybe correcting a word spelling here or there, it's pretty much exactly how I wrote it. No, that's, it's absolutely awesome. And I mean, like I've been saying to you, you know, peeling back, getting to see things, and then knowing that the hockey players have a life, right? They're not just a robot that goes on the ice, scores goals, and, you know, goes back into a a locker room and that's it. I mean, there's things that go on and a lot of people like to see that. A lot of people love the stories and that's why I like talking to you and like talking to other people when they come on because you get to pick their brains on things. You get to learn things and, and it goes back to like my grandfather said, pay attention and you won't have to study. 
and you'll be able to take things in and take it with you. And I feel like talking to you and other people, I get to do that because I never got to play at that level, but I'm obviously getting to learn and see what goes into getting there and what goes into staying there. Yeah, well, like I said, it, it's, um, it's a journey, and I think people now, a lot of people think, and the players are more accessible because of social media, but they're more accessible, it's selective. I wanted to put, that's why in my book, I wanted to put the good, the bad, and the ugly, and what it's like to be a hockey player, because I don't care how much you follow P.K. Subban or Paul Bissonette or whoever it is on Twitter, you're getting statements, you're getting nothing that they, you know, it's all... I, I mean, it's great. It's great that you can be interactive. Yeah. But you're getting a real tiny slice of what they selectively want to put out. And sometimes it's just self-promotion. Well, most of the time with me, it is a lot, you know, my book comes out. It's, I don't often sit here with my buddies and have a great conversation and go, you know what? I'm going to put that on Twitter. So, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's very selective. It's a small little focus. More people. Yeah. You could in one day you could tweet, anybody really you can tweet Sidney Crosby he get back to you right away or Donald Trump for that matter he does it all the time yeah like you know what I mean like anybody I'm just using it for that once I don't want to in any way talk about Trump other than no nope. Twitter the Twitter part of it you know like the the president of the United States is accessible on Twitter and that's the way it is in, in hockey and basketball and everything else and it's a great thing I do believe it. I just don't think you're getting the true essence of anything. You're getting a whole lot of icing on the cake, but the cake is underneath. Yeah. And 24-7 in the last dance, and those can give you a decent idea, but still the players aren't really – it's still being molded the way that the producers want to. Now, I guess you could say the same about my book and most books, but I just think that, you know – the book or you know a podcast um and and to some degree i thought the last dance was an unbelievable documentary but those are the things i think that will give you more of an idea and when it's a book you see it's just more like i love the 24 7 30 for 30 and all that i I do but in, in in the end it's it's up to the director yeah who didn't who didn't play the game likely Right? Yeah, well, that's why a lot of things get left on the floor, right? They cut a lot of things out that they don't think maybe they don't want to see or maybe they don't feel people would get value from. Yeah, take it last call, whereas Theo Fleury's book, Playing With Fire, is it's the best view that you're ever going to get of Theo. I don't care how many documentaries they do. They might strike up emotion, They might, but you're going to get, like, actually, like, here's where I played in Horse Lake Senior with Steve Parsons and Gino Ojek. Whoa, I didn't realize this. This is no... And he's talking to you. Of course, there's an editor or whatever, but whatever. He's getting that. This is what I want out there. And that's why I think books are the best route. There's lots of great ones, but books and, and, you know, maybe then I get lots of people now that approach me on Twitter after they read the book, and that's a little bit different, right? Yeah. Well, that's why for me, and I've always gone the road, I started off by listening to podcasts and then getting into it, but podcast there's no restrictions there's nobody telling me what to say or telling me what to ask or you know even when guests come on there's no boundaries you can go any which way you want carry the conversation anyway there's nobody stopping it and cutting in it I, I leave everything the way it is when it's set on here I don't cut and edit anything out except for when the phone call ends it's the only thing I cut out 
You know, because it's yeah. it's supposed to be real. It's supposed to be a conversation. And yes, it's an interview. Yes, I'm asking questions, but at the same time, I want an, an honest answer. And nine times out of ten on a podcast, you get it. You know, unless someone comes in with an agenda, which I don't seek those kind of people out. I want to have a good, honest conversation. Yeah, well, again, because we're fans. If I was a reporter, it would be different. Yeah, but it, I, I'm, I'm a fan that has a podcast, and I I love it, man. When I started doing it, well. Not that I'm, I'm kind of shamelessly plugging my own tales with TR, but um, that's really not where I was trying to go. You go right ahead. Said. Plugs are no problem, yeah. man. Yeah, that window, I just, I enjoy it, like, because it's me. And sometimes, yeah. you know, to, to, um, to, to it's, it's, a, it's a real fine line between reporting and podcasting. And sometimes it can be the same thing, but. Not for me, and clearly not for you. Well, I appreciate that. Well, Terry, where can people get the book? When is the next book coming out, and where can people hear your voice on a regular? Okay, so the book is called Tales of a First Round Nothing. Now, you can get it online anywhere. It's at most chapters. It's going to be the fifth year it's out, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, there's probably a chance it won't be at your local chapters. But the best way to do it anyway is send me a message on either Instagram, Terry Ryan 2020 uh, Twitter, Terry Ryan 20. So we message on one of those and I'll, I'll sign one and send it out to you. And the reason being to be honest with you, to be quite honest, um, if it sells at chapters in one of those places, I get 50 cents, but that's the way the deal works. But I buy 50 or a hundred at a time from the book company. Uh, for, I believe if you buy 50 and you're the, there, there's deals, so you get them for 10 bucks in tax. So $11, I can buy the book and then I resell it for 20. So you'd only be, I'm selling it for the same price that you get it at chapters. It's just that $9 goes into my pocket as opposed to 50 cents. And I wrote the book and I'd appreciate it. For, you know, I don't think 50 cents out of $20 is fair. But then when I say that, when I say that, I'm not knocking the book company at all. At all, they were great to me, ECW, and it's a standard deal. They didn't try to screw me. It's just, I think, generally in that world, you know, it's a hustle. And that they encourage you to do that, right? Like, so when I would say if I do a – I'm in PEI in August 8th or 10th, I think it is, doing a Boys and Girls Club tournament. I'm, I'm a speaker there, I think, and a bunch of other stuff. We got, like – in any case um, – what I'll do is just bring them to the event, um, do my thing, and then afterwards I'll sell a bunch. And they encourage that because, you know, they're going to get make off the same way anyway, and I'll, I'll get my money. So I know it's a long way around it. It might sound greedy, but, hey, I wrote it. I'd rather you get it off me. No, um, that's not a problem at all, and I'll make sure to plug that too. Yeah, thank you. Um, the next one. So I just um, – I'm actually in talks this week. I'm pretty confident that I'm going to sign a deal with Flanker Press here in uh, St. John's. I haven't done it yet. But um, I was with ECW last time, and they were great. Um, they were, they really were. But And there is a story there, but I won't really get into it. Flanker's here, here in Newfoundland, and they love the first book. And uh, I do a lot of touring in that with it anyway, right? Like so. And here in Newfoundland, obviously, it's probably going to sell a little bit better than it would in Saskatchewan. Yep being from here so and i really enjoy going community to community so uh, i'm going to do a bunch of local book signings and i love it i mean like i said i have a degree in folklore most of that's newfoundland folklore i love these towns i'm going hiking when i hang up from you I'm going hiking in trinity bay uh, newfoundland um 
I just love it. I, I just absolutely love everything Newfoundland has offered. So, but the second book is not going to be called Tales of a First Round Nothing 2. I was going to do that, but there's a few reasons I won't get into that it's probably not a good idea. So I'm going to just call it something else, but it's going to focus on, um, it's going to be anecdotes like the first one, because I've got, you know, I, I've got enough to fill 10 books. Um, but it's going to be, you know, I always thought tough guys, now that the game's going a different way, and, and you know, I get it that it's not as barbaric as it used to be, if you want to use that word, fair enough. But tough guys kind of are starting to get a bad rap. In, in retrospect, the, 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 um, the role of a tough guy isn't aging well for a lot of people. And the thing is, like it or not, it was part of the game, okay? And these people were the most charitable with their time and the money. And I mean that, and think about any pro hockey team that you watched or grew up watching or turned on the TV. Well, I experienced it. And I'm telling you, like, guys that I played with, like, and against, like, Wade Belak, who would you know? Who did, Wade Belak for sure. You know, Bob Probert, or um, he's maybe a bad example because he scored 30 in the NHL. He just happens to be a tough, but I don't consider him a straight-up fighter, even though he's one of the probably the toughest ever. But, you know, there's guys. Tony Twist. Yep. Uh, you know, you, you go down, and you know, anybody from LaRock to Bougard, you know, um, Colton Orr. McLaren. These guys, yeah, right. And, the, and these guys are the guys that, you know, you, I'm trying to name names that fans would know. But every East Coast League team, every AHL team had two or three of these dudes. At least one. Every team had at least one. And the thing is, they loved being there. And they would be the first people at the hospital. Um, and they were the first people, uh, you know, signing for the kids. They would bring the tunes in their dressing room, you know, and they would make sure that everybody, you, you, were, you were never going to take a tough guy that wasn't good in the room. It just would be silly, you know, like, you know, unless he was unbelievable, unless you had a chance at, you know, Tony Twist and the next guy was, you know, Johnny Goudreau. Like, if it was obvious and you needed a tough guy, but for the most part, you know, then they're, they're, a lot of what they did was off the ice, bringing guys together. You know, in, in, in the playoffs, some guys are really worried and they're and they're nervous, whereas a tough guy, you know, probably sees it from a little bit of a, a different perspective when you're going into the playoffs and, you know, can talk to the scorers, maybe go for a meal, have a bite to eat, bring some levity to the situation, tell some jokes in the dressing room, play some tunes, make sure that they play. Tough guys always get to know the tunes that everybody likes, so they'll put, put you know, the timing. And then no one talks about that, right? Um you know, the, the training in the training room, sometimes it just sucks, but, you know, often those are the kind of guys that would be the best at working out, right? So you yep. go in, and I remember learning a lot from Dave Morissette, you know? I'm like, oh, I never really had to do much of these arm curls. You know, I scored 50 two years ago. He'd be like, well, here you go. You want to fight Frank Bailo? This is what you got to do. So I just, I never, ever, other than on the ice, having a battle with somebody, they're just the nicest people. And if you looked at my Facebook, you'd see that, most hockey people on there are tough guys I didn't even play with. I just played against, and I fought them. There's just this respect, and people, and I just know what kind of guy they are. I've been having not met them. I'll go, yes, of course we can chat, man. You know, Trevor Gillies, right? Like, yep. kid punched me in the face. It was a hard, one of the hardest punches I've ever taken. I had a chapter in the book about it. But he loves the game of hockey. Wherever he's played, he's been a fan favorite. He gives back, watch his Instagram. He loves it. He's, he, he's upset. He's 40, 41 and retiring. Like, you know, this guy is the epitome of so many across the hockey world. Like, the meat and potato guys really gave back to the game and appreciated where they were, you know, from and what they did. And 
I just wanted to maybe make that clear before we totally close the door on that era. No, it's going to be an amazing book to read. And those are stories that people need to hear, and you're right. They are starting to get a bad tag on them. But you look at anybody who's a fighter, and you look at any time, you know, like a Colt Noir for me or a Fraser McLaren, Ty Domi, uh, you name it on the Toronto Maple Leafs because that's my team, you know, yeah. you know about them. Wade Belak, you know, you know about them, and it resonated when they want to fight and you get excited, you want to see them. And you're right, they were the first ones that are always taking pictures and always talking to people. They're the energy guys. And you need them. And I, I think right now, some teams, Maple Leafs included, need players like that. Because they're, they're lacking in that regard, that confidence, that swagger. So, yeah, no, I, I think that book is going to be amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Man, speaking of the Leafs, I mean, what happened when Carl Clifford went there? There was a buzz in the building on the Leafs like they were in the middle of the playoffs. Yep. One game. Anyway. No, it, it's, they also mean that. it's 100% true, though. You bring in a guy like Kyle Clifford... And he gets in the fights. He runs that goalie just by happenstance, you know. The buzz is electric, and everybody's standing up for him, and everybody's with him, and he's dragging other guys into it, like Zach Hyman's, Austin Matthews, Casper Captains. They're all getting a little bit more chippy because they got a guy that they know is going to hold their back if something goes down. Oh, uh, 100%. Uh, you, you, you had me at hello on that one. <laughs> well, Terry, I want to thank you very much for taking the time today. You're always so gracious when you come on, so I appreciate it. I hope the hike goes well, and we'll look forward to talking to you when the book comes out. No problem. I'll have an unbelievable summer, and if you need me again, you know where I am. Not a worries at all. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Savarina for hooking this up as well. Awesome for her to drop me a line to get you back on, so I appreciate it, Terry. Oh, nice. Yes, Savarina. I just uh, started working with her. She's a great individual with a great story herself. She'd be a good guest for you sometime. I've already had her on, and she's queued up to go out soon. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Terry Ryan. As I gave the introduction off the hop, he is on the Spittin' Chicklets podcast. He's been a guest there. He's been on Sportsnet, TSN, you name it. He has been everywhere. Former first-round pick of the Montreal Canadiens, sniping on you in the Ball Hockey League. He is absolutely a top-shelf guy. And, oh, did I mention... A second-time guest on Offside. All right, guys, that is Offside for today. Be sure to check out Terry's book that is out now, and make sure you check out the new book that is on the way. All right, guys, take her easy. Mm-hmm.